Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 551 on Tuesday, the 7th of November, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where I hopefully don't make up a new battery capacity measurement, thank you for pointing that out, David, mm-hmm. we'll be talking about how powerful the words could and potential are. In new new car news, we chat about another car we were told we wouldn't get in the UK, that now we will. And in points of interest, we find out there's more to one motor show than lowering and slapping on wide boy body kits. But first, and we have three bits of follow-up actually this week. First, we start with the company Recharge Industries, who are the ones who bought British Vault or the shell of British Vault that was left and a, a shovel in a ground mm-hmm. in the northeast. Yes. Turns out not really going very well. Not at all well. They still haven't finally paid for British Vault, (laughs) after many promises of doing so. And they haven't paid their staff for four months or so. Um, I really feel sorry for the staff. They've been let down by previous management. And with this new thing, I feel so sorry for them. Similarly, pension commitments, etc., etc. So it's not just money in the pocket. Staff, according to this BBC article, uh, have also complained that they've been locked out of computer systems and are unable to work because an IT contractor has not been paid. Not exactly a bed of roses, uh, it, it seems. I hope for the staff's sake that something gets sorted out soon. And yes. if not, they are able to get new jobs very quickly. Alan, do you want to take us uh, to JLR? We talked about them the other week. There were either, well, there's 10,000 vehicles waiting for parts, 5,000 supposedly sitting at dealerships uh, across the UK because of the new central warehouse plan which isn't going wonderfully well and a a suggestion was put out it seems by someone at the corporate office that second-hand parts could be used for vehicle repairs and it turns out the dealers said (laughs) no (laughs) for all the obvious reasons i think yes i mean it makes perfect sense it's like you've just bought a hundred and something thousand pound car not only has it broken and it requires parts but it's now second-hand parts. How happy would you be with that? Yeah. You know that that's just going to cause bad press issues if you think about it for more than a a second or two. What it does demonstrate is how bad the situation is and how much it has rattled the company if such a suggestion at all came out from the company. Yeah. There is a quote. uh, It's a quote, and it's taken from Autocar on this Jalopnik story. And it is uh, Adrian Mardell, of course, the CEO, saying, to be very, very clear, this is something we are really unhappy about. And just like the challenges with vehicles being stolen, this is something right at the top of this organization and right at the top of our partner organization, who's Unipart Logistics as well. Fingers crossed on that one that that stuff starts to happen and and get fixed. Supposedly, it's going to be happening into 2024. Andrew, Tesla. I can't believe I've just said that. (laughs) Well, this is follow-up because it is about uh, one of the liability court cases that was brought against Tesla over um, autopilot and the death of occupants of one of Tesla's vehicles. And in this latest one that was connected with a 2019 accident that killed the Model 3 owner and seriously injured two passengers, a jury has decided at 9-3 to that uh, Tesla were not at fault for the injuries and the death and they decided that if there were any defects in autopilot as was the alleged case um, they weren't the cause of the driver's death when the model 3 veered off the highway 
the trouble is they're like one step up from he said she said type thing or well what made that even worse was there was no data from tesla to say whether autopilot was or was not engaged because this was at a time just before the national highways and transport safety administration demanded extensive data on automated driver assisted related accidents hmm as you were saying we were chatting a little bit about this before recording as you were saying, really the way to go on this is to show that it can't be this sort of liability, one or the other or the other. You were saying that it really has to be something much more like, look, as it is, using just cameras, the autopilot system cannot possibly work. Mm. And that that would be the only way to kind of solve this and these kinds of cases full stop um, would be to prove that, that, look, it just can't work without the full barrage of sensors, if at all, but in this case, mm. it's camera only. I mean, we're going to keep seeing these kinds of cases coming through. Yeah, because there's a few in the pipeline. Yeah, and I think it's going to be the ones from 2020, where the accident took place in 2021 onwards, where Tesla has to hand over the data from the vehicles, and goodness yeah. me, it collects enough of it, allegedly. And, and then I think it, it might be slightly different, but it's quite possible that they just could not give enough proof in these kinds of cases. No. There's going to be links in the show notes, one to an article explaining about the court case, and then there's going to be a link to uh, LinkedIn, sorry, everybody, but for um, a piece from Michael DeCourt, who expands further on why he feels the court cases and the tack being taken by lawyers alleging that Tesla's done something wrong is flawed and why it will always fail. We've put that in because there's quite an interesting perspective on it and something that people haven't, cons or no one is discussing or considering. Yes. Well, obviously somebody's discussing and considering, but not widely. Yes. They will now because we've, we've said so, Alan. Yes. With our immense power. I expect there to be many articles about this over the coming fortnight. Yes. That's what normally happens in these situations. Alan, it is the beginning of the month, so what do we get to do at the beginning of the month? We get to do the SMMT new car registration figures for the preceding month. Woo! Woo! Some spectacular rises. Yes. On the headline figures, and I don't know, I just... Uh, Quite astonishingly high. My spidey sense is tingling, but I have nothing to back it up, all yeah. right? That's, that's all I can say, really, is my spidey sense just goes, ooh, I wonder how that's happened. And I'm I'm kind of curious as to, uh, I, I just don't quite get where the figures have come from. Well, I think you need to say some of the headline numbers let's, to let's get expand into it, shall a bit we? further on why. Yes. October, there were 153,529 new vehicles registered, new cars registered. That is up 14.3% year on year and up 7.2% on 2019 i.e. pre-pandemic and everything. You have, to go, you have to go back to 2018 to find something close. Yeah, that's quite significant. Mm. Battery electric vehicles uptake, it's the 42nd consecutive month of growth, but what it isn't managing to do is increase its market share. No, both for the month, year on, well, it, sorry, it is, but it's not significant. It's not growth of what is needed, considering 2024 is almost upon us. Well, that's it. Then the third sort of bullet point, talking point at the top of the SMMT story is 
new market outlook revised upwards to 1.886 million units, with further growth anticipated in 2024, but battery electric vehicle upgrade expectations have been downgraded slightly. Yeah, that's down to 22.1%, I want to say. It's somewhere deep in here. Which is just But it's just over the... And, and again, just to reiterate this, because somebody did point this out, we're talking about the whole market fleet mm. of getting across the 22% requirement of the zero emission vehicle mandate. Obviously, some companies do much better. Yes. Be very difficult for Tesla to fail that. Yeah. Sorry, I've, I've taken us off on a tangent. There. You have, quite spectacularly. As far as the numbers, private makes up 41% of the market share with 62,915 cars registered. Fleet, however, 57% of the market share, 87,479 registered. Private was only up 0.3% on last year. A fleet up 28.8%. This is where all of that growth has come in the fleet market. The private market essentially stagnant. Mm. Business actually down 15%. It was 3,135 vehicles uh, this year. 3,695 in 2022 uh, for a mere 2% market share. That's down as well. All of the heavy lifting, all of that, look at the increase in registrations. That is all coming from fleet purchasing, not from private buyers. Yep. Given the state of everything, that that's an important thing to emphasise. Yes, and it must be a worry. Yes, it really, it really is. And the private buying life cycle, well, obviously as a result, private buying life cycle is longer, but then cars are better built and last longer uh, these days don't have a fuel you put in your vehicle uh, just yet we're saying straight up petrol cars are 40 percent mild hybrid petrol another 14.4 percent so essentially it's 54 percent petrol yep diesel a mere 3.4 percent market share uh bevs hevs and fevs rocking in at, uh, at a number far too difficult for me to do mental arithmetic at, just over 30%, about 35%. There has been a good increase for plug-in hybrids and hybrid hybrids mm. in October. Plug-in hybrids jumped 60.5% when they had been sort of about the same-ish a bit down. Is that where all the fleet vehicles are going, do we think? Hybrids and plug-in hybrids? There's certainly 6,000-odd or five and a bit thousand-odd of those vehicles are. Yeah, exactly. Let's do the uh, the top 10s. Number 10, the Volvo XC40, 2,577 vehicles. Number 9, the Ford Cougar. Number 8, the Audi A3. Number 7, the Peugeot 2008. And number 6, the Kia Sportage. Number 5, the BMW 1 Series. I was trying to wait until we're a thousand higher than the starting number, but that's not really happening, is it? <laughs> number four, the Volkswagen Polo at 3,426. It is only a smidgen under 40 behind the Vauxhall Corsa. And number two is the Mini with 3,779. It's worth saying there's only kind of 800 vehicles between 10 and 3. Number two is many. And number one, Ford Puma for truly son of Fiesta. 4,824 vehicles registered. Uh, year to date, it goes Audi A3 with 25,452. Vauxhall Mocha, Mini, Nissan Juke, Hyundai Tucson, Tesla Model Y, it's Kia Sportage, Vauxhall Corsa, Nissan Qashqai in at number two, 34,952. And number one, the Ford Puma, 42,136. Mm. 
It is like the top three, the top three are blandness there, isn't it? At the top of the year to date, isn't it? It's just like generic British street. Yes. <laughs> I bet they're all gray, white, and black as well. God, it's awful. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> right, I'm going to take us to the spreadsheet of doom. I'll do the doomies. There's not many of those actually this month. Our bath is down at 75%. Bentley is down at 25%. DS is down at 57%. Fiat is down 57% as well. But there's a slight difference in those numbers. <laughs> the actual numbers. The percentage yes. is the same, but the actual numbers are different. Uh, Honda is down at 21%. Mazda just makes it into the category by being down 15%. Nissan is down 26%. Polestar down 30%. And Subaru is down 47%. Now, I think this next bit's interesting because that increase is sort of across the board, really. It's not as if it's been focused in two or three different manufacturers. No. What I'm trying to warn you up to line you up for is that I'm going to about to give you a very, very long list here. <laughs> Brace yourselves, folks. Alfa Romeo up 15%, Alpine up 23%, Audi up 24%, BMW up 22%, Cooper up 64%. Genesis up 106%, 149 vehicles registered. I do see a lot around here, to be honest. Uh, the GWM Aura up 119%, 92 registered last month. It's quite an interesting one. Jaguar up 286%, which wasn't very difficult, from 375 to 1,449. And we're going to talk about that shortly. Jeep up 161%, Land Rover up 39, Lexus up 51, Maserati up 52, MG up 28, Mini up 22, Peugeot up 25. You know, you can see here lots of mid-market brands making making roads here as well. Porsche up 65, Renault up 57, Seat up 52, Skoda up 37, Smart up 105%, uh, registering 117 vehicles. Uh, well, that includes the new Hash One and stuff as well, doesn't oh, yeah. it? Yeah, it's just yeah. starting to come on stream, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's not just four two electrics, so I'm expecting a, a steady growth from Smart over the next little while. Yeah, Suzuki up ninety six percent, almost two thousand vehicles registered. Tesla, October last year, Tesla registered eleven vehicles. October this year, Tesla registered two thousand six hundred and seventy seven vehicles. So we reckon is that. Do you think that's two ships in? I think that's two. Anyway, they're up 24,236.36%. Flipping it. I hate this sometimes. Vauxhall up 20%. Volvo up 53%. And other British also up 53%. As I said, apart from Tesla, which still only accounts for 2,500, and it's probably... Last month's was low as well. So mm. I think there's... We can maybe count at least two months' worth of Teslas in there, really. And still didn't make it into the top 10, by the way, just worth no. commenting. Because normally when this happens, everybody goes, oh, look, number one vehicle is an electric vehicle. And it didn't this time. No, so didn't. read into that what you will regarding not as much demand for EVs mm. when you've got two Tesla ships in. That is worrying. You can see from that that everybody, yeah. pretty much, most companies have done better significant jumps and there were lots of others by the way that were outside the plus or minus 15 percent threshold because that used to be a sensible number yes. and these days it's, it's it just goes everywhere so there's lots of other other bits and pieces sort of sort of in the, in there in a general increase i think there's more pluses that we missed out than minuses mm. 
Uh, we didn't notice, by the way, just quickly, BYD mm. didn't get a massive increase note because it wasn't on the boards last year, but they uh, 183 v- BYDs uh, registered as well. People are not just building their dreams, but buying your dreams. Okay, I'm going to stick with SMMT. And in the last week, to much fanfare and hoo-ha, they released a report based on research from KPMG, do with that what you will, that the claim is from all this that connected and automated mobility revolution is set to deliver a £66 billion prize by 2040. Sorry, is that not a potential? It could provide a potential £66 Funny you should mention that, Alan, because in all the discussion and promotion of this, the word could and potential seem to be forgotten to be used. Yet when you read the report, you can see those words 51 times in 15 pages of text, which includes the foreword from the head of SMMT. And I've ignored the back cover, I've ignored the index, and I've ignored the front cover in that. That's an awful lot of coulds and potentials, which then also get not used when it comes to a graphic talking about the same stuff that in the text has could and potential. They're not good marketing words, though, Andrew. Mm, And that's what we have to look at this with, because there's an awful lot of, oh, look, this technology is going to do so much stuff. And it's not. It's it might possibly, if we're lucky with the fair tailwind and things work, but they're talking about some some tech that, you know, we've had things like ADAS in for, I think it's 2010, it started to be widely Mm -hmm. put out. And yet we're in a position where people are now going, oh, hang on, it's not working, is it? These timescales are very optimistic. The ideas of what they feel can be done and achieved and from this tech is also very optimistic. Yeah, I know where you're coming from. I agree. There is quite an interesting graphic in this, though, which I, I actually think it's quite good. Okay, which one's that? That's the one with the three sections. So there's one here marked the top three sectors with largest market, earliest deployment, fa- fastest uptake of connected and automated mobility. And I think it's quite nicely done because they say, well, what would the largest potential market be? On-road logistics, on-road passenger services, and off-road logistics. And then the next column is, okay, of all of the potential markets, which ones could have the earliest potential deployment. And the first one is mining. Of course, you're well off the road if you're doing most mining stuff. It's a controlled mm-hmm. environment, all sorts of stuff. So 2027 for that. Agriculture, again, lots of that stuff actually already being semi-deployed in tractors and stuff. If you watch Harry's Farm, mm-hmm. then lots of that. And then off-road logistics as well, 2029. And then it's saying the fastest potential uptake not even the earliest potential, but which ones are most likely to be fastest. And it comes through with those again with, with mining, with off-road logistics a second, and then agriculture and construction third, which I think is, is interesting because they're not trying to say, ah, oh, the fastest potential update is going to be on-road passenger services or something equally ludicrous. And I think it's quite interesting that they're showing, okay, so here's the potential growth and that it's nowhere near the roads. I think that's the first thing that's worth mentioning here. Mm. That what they're actually saying is things that could well do the take up, they are not road vehicles. This is vehicles which work in in all of those six cases to the right hand side of this table that work in controlled environments. Yeah. But also why that is the case is all the companies that were out 
up until very recently telling us, oh, we're going to bring a driverless cars to the roads. Don't you worry. They've all pivoted. Yeah, they've gone very, very quiet. Which is what we've said for years and years. If you're going to develop this tech, it needs to be done in a controlled environment. The public Mm. road is no place for it because there's, as has been demonstrated repeatedly, there are too many edge cases that seem to baffle the developers or they don't have time to sit and think and plan for. Whereas here, it is much easier. Yes, it is. It is much easier. And that's the right way to do it, to do it over time and not just to rush something through because it gets awesome headlines. Mm. I think the numbers are a little bit keen still, (laughs) you know, but it is, it is KPMG. But I like the fact that it makes it very clear that whilst the largest potential markets are for on-road logistics and passenger services, that is not likely in the earliest or the fastest potential Mm -hmm. uptakes. Now, I think that that's worth highlighting amongst the rest of it, because I actually think that's a far more useful and interesting infographic than the ones with numbers and jobs and all that kind of stuff, which are fluffy, fluffy, pretty much made up numbers. Sorry, I'm sure someone will tell me they're not made up numbers. They're based on think of a number and put it down. They're based on assumptions, so they're made up. Sorry, yeah. Uh, But that I thought that that was was quite an interesting little little table. Mm -hmm. Well, talking of driverless vehicles, Alan, do you want to take (laughs) us to Scotland? Well, here's a fine example of what we've just been talking about. One of the major markets is on-road passenger transport, and here's one that's been in service, sort of the autonomous bus. Uh, the driverless bus that runs between Fife and the edge of Edinburgh across the, the, the fourth bridge. Since they unrolled it, unraveled it, unveiled it, I think is probably the word I'm looking for, but any of the others seem to work. Then it's been tootling back and forth on the almost straight route across the fourth bridge. The almost, the segregated almost straight route across the fourth bridge. Uh, However, Stagecoach has announced that currently the vehicle is being driven solely by a human. Mm. And this is due to some ongoing development work. Our autonomous service, AB1, is currently being driven by a human driver. And then, according to this Courier article, it chirpily says, we hope to return to being computer-driven soon! Exclamation mark. I mean, it's, it's not exactly the hardest trial in the world. It's not exactly representative of real life streets it is a completely it's it, basically you could run a ruddy train on this okay you'd be as well with a train <laughs> that's what it boils down to and they've been running this kind of buses with bumpers inside a route for years this one it just doesn't touch the edges of the route really hopefully i'll be back driven soon well done them for not running it with dodgy software i guess yep quite jlr news or some more jlr news and this time it's good news we actually feel slightly bad sometimes the stories come through and it's like oh no it sounds like we're giving them a kick in again and sometimes we are deservedly so sometimes we are yes this, this is true i mean I, I actually have sympathy over the parts one for example i do have so okay have a let i have sympathy and then i have a- i have sympathy for the people who are trying to implement the ideas someone else came up with and thought was a good idea yes and then i have a lower level of sympathy due to other professional aspects yes but what's good is that they have reported record revenues as sales increase range rover and defender models lots of demand uh, for those and that means that there's a 42% upkick in revenues 
between April and September uh, this year compared to last year. So 13.8 billion, 13.8 billion pounds. Uh, pardon me. Uh, it wasn't in between years. It was between quarters. So previous mm. quarters revenues had hit 6.9 billion pounds. And don't just worry about the revenues. There is a profit before tax. Which is nice to say. Which is nice to say. Yeah, which is a nice profit of 442 million before tax, as I say. Previously, of course, they've been writing down big investments, which haven't quite been working out. And, you know, all sorts of knock-on effects from COVID and that kind of stuff. It has an order backlog of 165,000 cars. Sounds like an awful lot. That is down from a peak of more than 200,000. Yeah. I hope that that's because they can build them more quickly. Not that people are cancelling the orders. Yes. But I, I rather suspect it's, it's the former. It said that demand for the Range Rover, the smaller Range Rover Sport and the Defender remains strong, particularly in China. I have noticed over the past few months an uptick in the number of Range Rover Sports and Defenders I have seen around here um, in this little corner of the US. Up until then, JLR products mostly conspicuous by their absence. All right. Okay. Okay, I'm going to take us back to Edinburgh, this time not by bus, and potentially not by SUV. <sighs> just, just don't go to Edinburgh. <laughs> go to Glasgow. It's much, Glasgow's miles better. The council is now going to consider banning, and I'm using air quotes on air quotes, gas-guzzling SUVs from parts of the cities. This is a couple of weeks old, and we'd missed it initially, so apologies for that. Just before we go, I do love that the Getty Images... The Getty Images image at the top of this mm. does not show a single gas-guzzling SUV in the centre of Edinburgh. What it shows is a traffic jam being caused by a Vauxhall Adam and an Audi A4 and a city sightseeing bus. Yes. This was all raised a, a couple of weeks ago in the Transport and Environment Committee where they were looking at road safety. The Green councillors said that they uh, endangered pedestrians, created potholes, and were bad for the environment. Well, okay. But other councillors from the Conservatives said, no, that's not. You just crack on if you want to buy one. My favourite here is from Councillor Booth. And he's, he's got some crackers in, in this bit. Councillor Booth highlighted the weight and size of vehicles and the impact on road safety. I'm quoting from this BBC article, which will be linked in the show notes. Uh, and he said, SUVs were becoming increasingly popular across Europe. This is true. Now, it may... <laughs> Now, it may be appropriate from a, for a farmer in Fife to have a Land Rover, but it's not appropriate for a banker in Brunsfield if they don't also own a farm up in the Highlands. That is the most amazingly Edinburgh statement ever. It's not appropriate for them to have massive, great gas guzzler. He says, taking a leaf from the Robert Llewellyn book of description. Mm. Councilman Rowe, who's a local councillor for Brunsfield, further down, saying somebody's job and how hard they work and what they choose to spend their money on is entirely down to them. It's their house, their vehicles, that's where they shop. I just wanted to put on record that if anybody's listening from Brunsfield, if you want to buy an SUV, crack on, it's your money. It, <laughs> it would just be nice if it was electric. Council Booth then goes on, by the way, to uh, quote internet memes uh, showing that an Abram M1 tank, uh, of course there are plenty of those on the road in Edinburgh, uh, has better visibility and somehow fewer blind spots, which is <laughs> rubbish because it. Uh... Well, they're renowned for all their glazing. <laughs> yes, exactly. We just asked Nir about that kind of thing, which 
it's, it's typical Scott. It's not even Scottish politics. It's Scottish local politics. No, but it's it's not just that, Alan. Th- this one goes, but the, the the tank one, for example, it's completely out of context because it's forward view only of low pedestrians. And it also spends its time comparing it to Ford F-150 and F-250 and GMC Silverados, of which there are, of course, a plethora in central Edinburgh. Yeah. But, it, you know, obviously, more visibility, good. Worse visibility, bad. It's, it's part of the problem because it undermines all discussions on this. Yeah. Because you can point out how you can't compare an Abrams M1 tank in the UK because they're not UK cars that they're comparing it to. There's the trope about how, you know, it's effectively all SUVs are bad SUVs, but then when you dive into it, you find out how many things are classed as an SUV. And, you know, everything from the Suzuki Jimny all the way up to... The, 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 the Duke. The yeah. Nissan Duke. Everybody, oh, SUVs. It's like, so what's a Nissan Duke then? Well, that's not, that's not a big SUV. That's not a bad SUV. So, yeah. well, what is it? If you're just going to use SUV... And if you're going, if you're going weight, well, then you have to look at other vehicles. Think about that. It's, there's this lack of thought going into all the discussions about these discussions. I use that very loosely. It, it's just tropes being wheeled out. It's shouty, screamy, and it doesn't help anyone. And it won't actually fix the problems that they discuss. Well, and then it's perfectly suited for Scottish politics, isn't it? It is. To be fair, it's happening across all of the UK as well. Yeah. Anyway, right, good news. Andrew, good news. Yes. Uh, Liverpool is going to spend another £10 million on on-street chargers, which is excellent. Um, so the mayor, uh, Steve Rotherham, that's for the Liverpool city region, um, said this will undoubtedly improve the um, the charging opportunities in the, the Liverpool city region, which is great. At the moment, Liverpool has about 600 public charge points, but with this new investment, they reckon they're going to markedly increase, is how they quote. Mm-hmm. Anywhere outside of London that gets more charging points is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, more charging points generally. And there was a number that we missed, actually, from the SMMT story earlier on, the first SMMT story, which one of the measures they're reporting every month is the ratio of EVs being registered to uh, new charges being installed as well. And of course, with a downturn in EVs, that ratio is improving. Yes. But that's actually, and what's nice is that one is that's actual installs and switches on as opposed to planned. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, And that SMNT number. Yeah. Uh, One last story before the break. Arriva orders 34 more electric double-deckers from Rightbus. So Rightbus has received, according to this uh, Electrive article, has received a follow-up order from bus operator Arriva in London. So that's another 34 on top of the existing 50 electric double-decker order in there. One thing I do notice about this, by the way, just looking at the picture, which I hadn't realised before, is that these have uh, rear-view cameras instead of mirrors. Mm. That should be a good old cost-saving for the bus companies for replacing broken mirrors. Mm -hmm. Well, Alan, I think that's the end of the first part. And as our listeners who'd like to exercise along to the first part, have finished their gentle stroll this week. It really is. There are lots of stuff up front, so there's a little bit shorter in the second half uh, to make up for it. But yes, it's Guilt Minute, a quick break in the show where we ask for a ton of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. The different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we do completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show. 
in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and some of you do, so thank you so very, very much, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everyone that does. Very One day I'll rewrite it. that so it's different, but I can actually quite like the succinctness of it right at the minute. So I've, mm. I don't know how I'd do it better. Never mind. Well, whilst Alan ponders that, I will take us into new, new car news. And after the UK internet banged on so long at Toyota, they have relented and decided they will bring the latest version of the Prius to the UK. Okay, everyone, right, before we get into this, you've demanded it. You better put your hands in your pockets. <laughs> Otherwise, they will stop doing nice things for us. We know mm-hmm. that because cars have been taken away. Please, you wanted yeah. it, buy it. Yeah, uh, no great details about this right at the minute. But globally, you can either have it with a front-wheel drive, two-litre power hybrid with 191 brake horsepower, or you can have it with four-wheel drive, uh, which puts out 221 brake horsepower, and that's a plug-in hybrid. A uh, plug-in hybrid can cover not 6 to 6.7 seconds, which is adequately nippy. Mm. We'll also be able to do 53 miles uh, of just pure electric. And supposedly a solar panel on the roof will generate enough energy to create to do 777 miles. That's oddly specific of electric <laughs> driving every year, although whether or not that quite works. I can see that working in California. <laughs> I have my doubts. Uh, I, I have my doubts uh, in, in, in Aberdeen, for example. But looks good. It's going to be a bit more expensive than the Corolla. Do go buy it, please. Yep. I see quite a few over here. Sometimes they seem to sit a little high, but I've noticed that about vehicles over here. I think the European market photos always seem to sit a little bit lower than the US spec ones. Oh, okay. So yeah, so they they actually look look better. I also see the uh, CHR launch has taken place over the last couple of days, which is where this yeah. announcement may well have, have happened as well. Mm. well. Do you want to take us on to Skoda though? There's a new Skoda Superb estate and hatchback. Yes, your reasonably priced massive car suitable for a fancier private hire driver that has been reviewed. Uh, Supposedly, there's 30 more litres of storage space in the estate over the third generation car and uh, 20 more litres in the hatchback over the previous generation car. It's a bit bigger. It's a bit more aerodynamic. It has LED matrix headlamps, which have, which give off a bit more light. Uh, so it's a generally bigger, smoother, roomier, all of these things. Uh, there are six new colors. You can even have it in carmine red, cobalt blue, and iced tea yellow, although I'm not quite sure you'd want that one. <laughs> it's a good looker. Engine-wise, smart dials, there's all sorts of other stuff on the interior, um, mm. which means that there are things to poke and turn as opposed to just things to slide your finger across and make greasy. There are six powertrains, four different two-liter TSI petrol diesel engines, plug-in hybrid, uh, which in theory will get an electric range of 62 miles. So it's a one-and-a-half-liter mild hybrid engine. I wonder which one will be the most popular. <laughs> Power will range between 150 and 265 horsepower with all-wheel drive available on most models and a seven-speed DSG on all of them. So you can make those brappy upshifts as you're accelerating away from the lights just like a Golf R. <laughs> That's good. Again, buy it because it's an estate. 
pricing roughly around £35,000. Yeah. I imagine that'll be the start price, but uh, yeah. Uh, also, drive assists, all the other usual stuff is in there too. Yep. All right, I'm going to take us to Aston Martin, going slightly away from that section of the market. Uh, and in 2024, Aston Martin will be bringing out a revamped DBX. That's their SUV. They basically are revamping the interior. It's going to bring it in line with the likes of the DB12, uh, and they will be using Aston Martin's bespoke infotainment, which will include a touchscreen. I imagine that's a lot like the Mercedes infotainment, but with different software. Well, no, because it, it it's talking about their own thing, but because they're ditching the previous Mercedes-Benz one. Oh, they, oh right. Okay, I, I had missed that particular step in it all. Uh-huh. Oh, well, that's... That's nice, I suppose. Sorry, I don't yeah. know what else to say. I was just sitting here looking, laughing at the name of the GP Morgan analyst who asked the question, and then that was as, that was as far as I was uh, I, I was going. Really, yeah, I, I've seen a few DBXs on the road. Yeah, so they started production in 2020. They gave it a little bit of a, a redesign in 2022, but they they've not touched the interior really very much. It's just going to bring a refresh. It's an important car for them. Yeah, worth mentioning that sales overall are up 23% in the first nine months uh, mm-hmm. compared to last year. So that that's pretty good. Yep. One last one in cars that you should buy, otherwise they will just go away. Uh, and that is the new uh, Mercedes-Benz E-Class Estate. Uh, Mercedes has confirmed UK specs and prices, although you can probably have a lot of fun trying to find them on the website of the new E-Class Estate. Boot capacity 615 litres with the rear seats in place, 1,830 with them folded. Uh, you get three different powertrains, including a plug-in hybrid, which is paired with a 204-horsepower petrol engine with 127-horsepower electric motor and has a 25.4-kilowatt-hour battery, allowing a pure electric range of up to 69 miles. Uh, you can also get a 204-horsepower petrol hybrid uh, and a 197 horsepower diesel hybrid. Obviously, you'll get a number of different equipment grades here in the UK because we only get the sporty one. You get AMG Line, AMG Line Advanced, AMG Line Premium, AMG Line Premium Plus, and Exclusive Edition if you want to be different. Yes. Uh, prices are starting at 57,930 for the mild hybrid petrol. And they rise as much uh, up to starting from 78,835 for the AMG Line Premium Plus plug in hybrid. That's a hell of a badge across probably the Probably only in a, a blue efficiency or something. Uh, yeah, probably only in white. Um, so, yeah, and you, can, you can actually add some luxury, uh, some, some features from there. Okay, points of interest, Alan. Yes. Do you want to take us to the first one, the lunchtime read? Yeah, the lunchtime read is from Road and Track, which. Amazingly, I can open again in the UK, so something's changed at their end. Don't say it too loudly, they might change it back again. I know. But whilst we can get access to this, there is a really interesting article, well, interview, of Akido Toyota's uh, time at Toyota and him moving on from the president's seat to where he is now, discussing what he went through and all this. And I think in the recent hoo-ha about, oh, Toyota are so slow, they're anti-EVs and and all this other stuff that gets mentioned. And some of it is justified, to be fair, Mm -hmm. uh, or I feel it is justified. You forget what he's actually done with the company and how many, essentially, fires he's had to put out in his time. And it's just a fascinating run-through history. 
And whether you like Toyota or not, depending on your persuasion, I think it's a fascinating insight into the mentality of the man and where he's coming from with the position he takes. Mm -hmm. As we often say, more knowledge is better because you understand where someone's perspective is and where they are coming from, which, which can only then help holding sensible conversations. But I, but I found this a really fascinating article, um, which will, it is quite chunky, so it will do your lunchtime, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, it, it's a goodie by Patrick George, obviously, of, uh, formerly of, uh, of Jalopnik and a couple of places. He writes really good features, interviews, stuff like this. A list of the week this week. We've gone from the sublime to the ridiculous. It's from Car Magazine by Jack Groves, and it's a SEMA 2023 highlights of the show's wild modified cars. Uh, SEMA, the Specialty Equipment Market Association show, uh, takes place in Las Vegas every year. Well, well, there could not be a better place for it, really. And it takes up a lot of the Las Vegas Convention Center. There's a list here of highlights. Andrew, your turn mm. to choose. There are a, a number of highlights. There is one low light, that's for sure, but I'm not mm. going to mention that one. Uh, I think when you click through on the link in the show notes, you will spot it. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, well, I hope you do. Uh, um, I think for me, because I am mentally about five, the FJ Bruiser. Oh, I thought you might be about to say that. Yes. I, I mean, they've even got on the ridiculous air intake three Toyota uh, logos, which will then flap up and down yes. as engines are, or as accelerator is pressed and things happen within the mechanics. But it's it's just, oh, I, I love the color as well. The color's amazing. That engine, by the way, 725 brake horsepower V8 engine from NASCAR uh, into a lifted FJ45 pickup uh, with a race spec three-speed auto. And it's very cool. Very, very cool. It's got a sort of trophy truck vibe to it. Yeah. I mean, when we talked previously about SUVs and poor visibility and how that's a bit of a trope, um, I think it will be a challenge to see out of this very far, so I wouldn't imagine trying to use it on the road. Mostly because of the air intake. Although if you do follow Fabrat uh, then on YouTube, uh, you'll know Paul Cox is one which is, it is used off-road as a road, as a, as a, as a rock roller, but I think it's got a... I think it's got an LS motor in it. Right. It's slightly different. But yeah, it's, it's just as cool because, of course, it's FJ-based. Mm. Nice. Uh, there aren't a great number, so I will leave my choices out. But whenever you click through and you see the cover picture, you'll probably get an idea of where, where I would probably choose or go. I'm going to take us to the moon now. Well, with a render. This is what turns out we're sponsored by Toyota this week, although we're it not. It does feel like it, doesn't it? Sorry, everyone. Mm -hmm. It's just the way the stories have fallen that there is a lot of Toyota stuff this week. That, that was not intentional. But this one is Toyota has a Lunar Cruiser concept that has been revealed, like I say, in um, digital imaging format. And this is the idea of their US design studio for taking a vehicle to the moon. We've done this before. Now it was a hydrogen one. That's the hydrogen one. It really one. was a lunar looking one. This actually looks a bit more like a, a more recognizable car type thing that they happen to be taking to the moon. It's like the most ridiculous lineage between what you chose in the last story and what we've yes. got here. Because in theory, one should be child of the other. 
by some yeah. great long weird the styling yep. of it the styling of this is based on it, it, it is based on something which has also been turned into a nascar engine rock baja thing <laughs> uh, yeah but there's going to be two links in the show notes there's going to be one to a top gear article but there will also be a youtube video as well demonstrating it it's got things like the the tires that are puncture proof hmm. and sort of compress on themselves to help add to the suspension and all that sort of stuff. A lot of glass. Uh, yeah, I was about to say I'd just like to highlight how low the glass goes down at, down at the front there for optimum forward visibility. <laughs> but it's a cracking little thing. So do do click through on the show notes to have a look at that. Yeah, very very cool. One of the uh, parish notes, one of the reasons there's been quite a lot of Toyota stories is because Toyota is very big both in the US at SEMA and at Japan, uh, where the, the uh, Japan Mobility Show has just uh, just finishing off. We did a special edition about the Japan Mobility Show, talking about some of the some of the some of what we felt were the highlights uh, that came out of that. Um, it's available both to listen to and to watch. And in fact, when you're listening, you can also watch because it should show you pictures of what it is we're talking about, uh, even on your podcast player. Mm-hmm. It's multimedia, you know. Do, if you have a, uh, go have a little bit of a, a listen or a watch of that. Yep. Otherwise, are any other parish notes? No. No, nothing coming along. Okay. Which means that, that it's time for me to remind you that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts of the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. On Facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you these days? Best way to get in touch with me is either on Twitter or through Mastodon. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? Twitter or Blue Sky for me, generally, although I am occasionally on Mastodon. Yes, no, I haven't left it. No need to drag me back again. Challenge accepted. In all cases, my username is at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. As I said, we'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.